you aren't being a proper woman, therefore you must be a witch. You must be a witch. Welcome, folks. Happy Beltane! Welcome, everyone. Hi, so nice to see your faces. Welcome to this live recording of the Missing Witches podcast, our Beltane special, our annual fundraiser episode for the Native Women's Shelter. We are just beyond excited and thrilled um, that you're here, that our guests are here, that you've chosen to be with us. If you're here with us in person, it's kind of extra special. We get to see your face and feel that moment, that energy with you. It's really, I was just saying right before I hit to let everyone enter, I feel really nervous for this one. It's really important to me. I'm really excited by the work that these people do practically, academically, their writing, their community building. Um, and, you know, I think it's, uh, we do a podcast called Missing Witches, Amy and I, and that comes from a place of great longing for us. Um, I think that our community is united in this sense of longing, longing for kinship, you know? What does it mean? The, the, the thing that we call our intersection of our politics and our spirituality, we call witches. And we know a great deal of that witch movement has been built on uh, theft of indigenous culture. Let's <laughs> call it what it is. And uh, that feels shitty. Um, and so we try to make sure we're uh, centering indigenous voices, learning as much as we can, and uh, and, and acting in a spirit of reparations with our work too, so that we come together from a place of longing and community building and a desire to learn from everything we've been missing and uh, a hopefulness too, that in sort of terrifying environmental times, this sense of longing and community building and outreach uh, and sorrow can help us have hope for the future together. So not, not a lot riding on these conversations for me emotionally, <laughs> that, that's the context. Thank you for being here. We usually begin before we do our introductions and we get into our conversation with a piece of ritual that looks a little bit different today. And Amy will tell you about what that feels like, looks like this time around. Yeah, as Risa said, we, we usually open these Sabbat events with a ritual. And this time we're opening with a call to ritual sacrifice. This event, this episode, this panel is a fundraiser. For the third year running, Risa and I will be contributing our Patreon profits for the month of May to the Native Women's Shelter of Montreal. Last year, we invited our listeners to join us and together our coven returned almost $3,000 to our local indigenous communities. So again, we're asking you, our listeners, those of you here today, are Missing Witches Coven mates all over the world to make a reparation. We know that most of you are listening from outside Canada, so wherever you are, we encourage you to find a local Native women's shelter or Indigenous NGO to support. Some places don't have First Nations-specific orgs, so we'll also accept donations to shelters for vulnerable women and children, sex workers, or victims of violence, or Planned Parenthood, but we would really appreciate 
a focus on support of Indigenous women or Indigenous people. We've got a couple grand worth of prizes donated by our Covenant Large jewelry, art, altarpieces, books. Shout out to our publishing house, North Atlantic Books. A handmade custom sweater and readings of all kinds, ancestry, astrology, tarot, Akashic records, just waiting to be yours. So here's what you're going to do. Make your donation of $10 or more to the Native Women's Shelter of Montreal or your local Indigenous People Support Organization. Take a screenshot of your receipt and email it to missingwitches at gmail.com with the subject line donation plus the amount of your donation. The amount is important because for every $10, you'll get one entry into the raffle for these prizes that I'm about to list. So if you donate $20, you'll be entered twice. For $50, you'll get five entries and so on. If everyone listening right now donates locally, together we can make an impact globally. Anyone who donates $100 or more will be additionally entered in a separate draw to win a personal gratitude Zoom chat for Theresa and myself. Plus, every single person who makes a donation of $10 or more, that's every single person who makes a donation of $10 or more will automatically receive a digital coupon book that we put together with discount codes to some of our most beloved witchy businesses, including House Witch, Snake Hair Press, The Death Witch, Unearthed Minerals, all this info and more details. Plus... A list of ideas for places to donate in Canada will be on our website and our socials. And for those of you who are here live, that link is live now. So you can go to our website and check that out. But maybe wait until after this conversation is over. <laughs> so make your donation. And if you like, tell us about who you're supporting and why. Last year, we highlight a bunch of these organizations in our stories, and it was wonderful to be able to share who everyone else is also supporting with our following. So take your screenshot of your receipt, email it to missingwitches at gmail.com with the subject line donation, plus the amount of your donation. Lucky donors will win amazing prizes, and everyone who donates will get a digital coupon book with discount codes from our favorite witchy businesses. We'll run the fundraiser from today through the month of May. Winners will be drawn at random and announced on June 1st. Just to give our raffle prize donors a bit of heat, we have Amy Owen, who's going to do an astrology reading and a painting of the chart. GDC, who's here today, is going to give us a reading plus a copy of your upcoming new book, which we're so excited to talk about. So we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, as I said, North Atlantic Books is giving us three copies of Banana Leaves. We wanted Jessica to be here today, but she's booked. So instead we're going to spread her book <laughs> around. Um, Unearthed Minerals is giving us a broom necklace. Angela, aka Heartwise Woman, is doing a bone throw reading. Melissa is doing an Akashic Records reading. Jessica from Dear Woman is doing a tarot reading. Sammy has given us a necklace set. Kate Ballou, a custom personalized poem. James from A Quiet Practice has hand-woven an altar cloth for this fundraiser. Uh, Venus and Retro Tarot reading, Sherry, that hoodoo lady, an ancestor introduction connection, plus a copy of her book, and Moth and Magic is doing a handmade custom granny square cardigan that I want so badly <laughs> that I wish I could enter and win all of these prizes. Now, I'm going to take a deep breath. Oh, please join us. Like I said, if we all 
make reparations locally together, we can make an impact globally. Now I'm going to mute my microphone and drink some more water. Thank you all for being with us here today. Thank you so much to all the people in our coven who leapt forward to contribute their work and their labor for prizes and to folks who I know are already making donations. Um, let's meet our brilliant circle today. Um, I would love to invite each of you to tell us about yourselves, tell us about your work. What are you thinking about? How are you? How are you feeling today? Where are you? And uh, if you feel like it, can you start to draw the lines for us between your work and this idea of kinship? Um, we have fish philosophers and people writing about plant kins and working with plant kin and fossil kinship, people rethinking and queering these sort of colonial family structures, thinking about social work and animal kinship, helping us understand a relationship to the natural world in general. So if you can find your way to ease us into those relationships and conversations as a starting point, that would be a great gift. Um, I'll invite uh, Dr. Zoe Todd to start. And then if you'd like, um, I'll invite you to daisy chain it. So it's not always us talking. So you could call on the next person. Um, good morning and thank you. It's really an honor to be here with you in the Missing Witches podcast and also with the amazing panelists that um, we're all joining today. Um, so, Tansei, Zoe Nitsigasun, Mia Urotamsu Esqueo, Eguamaga, Nanaa, Kualaka, Miwigan, Ginanaskomiti Nawao, Masi Kakyao, Miwakomakina. So, my name is Zoe Todd. I am a Metis person. I am from Alberta in Treaty 6 territory or Miskwichi Wiskaigan. Edmonton. Uh, I currently live in unceded Sanaa'as and Qualicum First Nations homelands, territories uh, with, my, with my, my family. And I'm deeply grateful to be here as someone who was not invited to, to this territory, um, but I'm working very hard to be in good relation with, with these lands and with the nations whose lands we're on. Um, I'm really excited to talk about kinship because it underpins so much important work across the country and, and across indigenous contexts throughout you know the globe <laughs> and there's so much important work on kinship and relationality and care and, and reparation and I was actually tearing up a little when you were reading out the, the list of all the people who have donated and, and just this idea of reparation I work in the academy and often white people feel that their presence as folks studying us is their form of reparation. And so they kind of open up these spaces like, you should just be so grateful we're here and we're hosting you. <laughs> and like, but you have put so much thought and care into this event. And just knowing that all of these people just all over the place are coming together um, with this intention to, to make things right, to repair deep harms, just really the, the energy was so palpable. So I don't want to take up too much time uh, because all the panelists are so brilliant and amazing, but I just wanted to say my gratitude um, for hosting this space. And, and also just like, I'm a fan of everyone uh, that you were invited. So it's really, I get to just listen to really brilliant people talk. So thank you so much. And I'm really excited to be here today. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your writing and your work and then daisy chain it? Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I mean, I, I think we all just took a moment to be emotional. <laughs> that felt right. My emotional support water. Um, so yeah, right. my work, I work on fish. I work uh, 
in collaboration with with a diverse team of people, both in so-called Canada, but also so-called Australia, and uh, and also with my very dear friend and colleague, June, Dr. June Rubis, who is um, uh, Badea from Sarawak, Malaysian Borneo. Uh, and together, we are just really interested in helping to support freshwater fish futures uh, throughout different contexts. And we really, uh, we really believe that the answer to a lot of um, freshwater fish challenges is to center indigenous law in its all, in its plurality. Like we have a very expansive understanding of indigeneity, by which we mean people who um, are connected to place, uh, not just in North America. Sometimes indigenous studies focuses far too much on a very small sort of context, but. We, we, when we say indigeneity, we mean people throughout Africa, throughout Asia, throughout the Pacific. Like we, it's a, we're very, very, anyways, I'm not saying this eloquently, but just to also sort of disrupt that idea that, um, uh, that indigenous studies is a narrow, a narrow space. We really try to take a very expansive understanding of indigeneity in that it, indigenous people exist uh, throughout all of the places that European colonizers displaced and dispossessed people very, um, deliberately uh, through the last 600 years. And um, yeah, we just really believe that indigenous knowledges, indigenous laws, indigenous philosophies are really important to repairing, um, you know, social and uh, environmental harm that European colonial capitalist and white supremacist uh, approaches have done. And I'm gonna hand it off uh, to Crystal. <laughs> And so, yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> oh, thank you, Zoe. Um, I'm totally a fangirl of Zoe's work. Um, we've kind of followed each other on social media for a while. So it's definitely uh, just so super amazing and awesome to be on a panel uh, with you and with these other people. It's uh, like, where am I? Who am I? What's happening? Um, so Quay Quay, everyone. My name is Crystal Toop. Uh, also, you can find my byline name, Crystal Waban. Um, I'm a member of Pequaknagon First Nation. I live in uh, eastern Ontario in Renford County. So I'm a, just a short hop and a jump out away from my community. Um, and I kind of grew up really displaced between Ontario, Montreal, Thunder Bay, and um, my whole thing <laughs> is Blackbird Medicines. Um, that's been my heart work for quite a few years, uh, really working um, to kind of do that healing work. I'm uh, Algonquin, but I'm also French and Polish. And I'm just kind of like, you know, what does that mean for a long time? Uh, my whiteness and my proximity to my connections, um, you know, we, my family, I was the, the Polish one and my sister was the, the native one. So just within the family, there was interesting lines drawn. Um, but I, I came to learn over time that, uh, um, you know, it's, it's really about your connections and, um, you know, how you're, you're embracing those connections and how you're honoring them. And uh, so trying to take steps less focused on the shade of my skin and uh, really focusing more on those connections and how um, how those really led uh, myself down a certain path and you know what does that healing look like from you know my my grandparents and their parents going to residential schools um, you know to the point where 
uh, it was in our best interest to, you know, kind of uh, pretend that didn't happen and keep going and put your head down and keep going. So it's definitely a story that a lot of Indigenous people connect with. And um, it, it's, it's a story that led me to connecting with, you know, Zoe's work online uh, with so many of, um, you know, even with witch connections and kitchen witch connections and different things where uh, I'm looking to my culture for healing and finding a lot of non-Indigenous people in those spaces and trying to understand my own conflicts of, well, I'm actually Native and I'm, I feel conflicted about taking up space, but like they're not Native. So getting through those understandings and, and also, um, you know, opening space up uh, for that European side of, you know, why does this feel right? Or why does that feel right? And maybe because, you know, Indigenous people are uh, out there globally. And, and that's something that the last few years, uh, working with Blackbird Medicines, uh, working with other helpers in my community, um, you know, that was part of my unlearning too, was like, oh, yes, Indigenous, like in a global way. And, you know, colonization wasn't super new in the world when it came to Canada and, um, you know, and, and meeting different people and in different places and positions and uh, different homelands. So just learning all those stories has kind of been really uh, nourishing to me in a lot of ways. And um, so I, I keep kind of doing things and people keep finding me and, and it, the response is good. So I'm, I feel like I'm doing something right. Um, <laughs> definitely consider myself um, a spiritual practitioner, a spiritual um, caregiver, and, and that's what I'm really passionate about uh, in, in this journey is um, how, how does our reclaiming our spirituality, reclaiming our, our connections, our kinships, how does that heal us? How does that fortify us for the, the days ahead? So chi miigwech to everyone for having me. Um, Feel like I just said a lot of things, so I'll, I'm going to pass it on, and uh, um, I would love to uh, to hear uh, Margaret introduce herself a little bit. <laughs> oh, well, Ellen Crystal, thank you. Gwei Ninja Luzi Magla Robinson, Leowet Migmagi Wigi Sesakuk. Hi, I'm Margaret Robinson. Uh, I'm a member of the Lennox Island First Nation. I'm a person of non-status experience who grew up in the eastern shore of Nova Scotia in Mi'kma'ki. So I've got to live in my traditional territory and uh, now I work there, which is a great benefit for me. Uh, in my work, I work at Dalhousie University. I'm a researcher. Most of my work is with um, Indigenous uh, or with sexual and gender minority people. And I mostly look at how culture keeps people well. And so some of my um, interests in terms of uh, connections and kinship and wellness come out of that, uh, looking at how uh, connecting with culture um, and how to live with culture wherever we find ourselves. So for myself, looking, how do we embed Mi'kmaq values into our daily lives? Um, what does that mean if you're also a secular person uh, versus if you're a spiritual person? And so kind of digging into all of that uh, is one of the things that I find really exciting about my work. 
um, giving me that opportunity to learn more about myself and other people. Um, I coordinate Indigenous studies, so I'm also interested in sort of the discipline of Indigenous studies and where the borders of that are. Um, and I approach this as a secular person who uh, did a PhD and a master's in a Catholic theological school. <laughs> so uh, I have a lot of uh, interest in religion and spirituality, um, but uh, not uh, as a participant, more as a, an observer. Uh, uh, so uh, it's, it's exciting to be here and to uh, meet all of you uh, in person. So uh, I'll say, thank you all. Uh, and I guess I'll pass it on to uh, Granddaughter Crow. GDC, you're up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So awesome, you guys. This is such a wonderful, sacred space for wonderful, sacred conversations. And I am very honored to be here. So Ya'at A, they call me Granddaughter Crow. I am born to the Bilagana clan for the Ta'achini clan, which means that I am Navajo Nation down here in the Four Corners, United States. Four Corners is Colorado, Utah, um, New Mexico, and uh, Phoenix or Arizona. And so my father is full-blood Navajo. He was taken from his Hogan and put into a boarding school, stripped of his language, his hair, and his culture. So I'm very close to that experience. However, my mother is full-blood Dutch. And so I understand what was said before, um, this whole trying to reconcile with myself, you know, being of both. And I think it took me a long time to get there because what it helped me to do was become a bridge between cultures. And now we are here having conversations about cross-cultural communications, getting to know each other with respect, with curiosity. And this is the beauty of this time that we are living in, is that we get to have these unspoken conversations, these things that used to be, just ignore it, don't just sweep it under the rug. And now we get to come to the table and listen to each other. And so although I am uh, of the Navajo Nation, I only speak with my experience. I'm not speaking on behalf of the Navajo Nation. I am a Gen X and um, raised in Denver, Colorado. And um, so what do I do? Um, under the name of Granddaughter Crow, I am an author, a public speaker. I offer sessions, one-on-one -on -one sessions, um, psychic intuitive, whatever you want to call it, empathic, whatever you want to call it. I'm also, um, well, you can check out my website, www.granddaughtercrow.com. That's it in a nutshell. Where I would like to say what I do and how that helps with the kinship. My second book, which is out there, you can get it off of Amazon or I think Kindle or Barnes and Noble or wherever you get your books. Um, it's called Wisdom of the Natural World. And it's practical and spiritual teachings from plants, animals, and Mother Earth. And last year, Missing Witches had me on, and we spoke about that book. I think 
believe that that one was um, like your hundredth episode or I think it was a hundredth episode. And so if anybody wants to listen to that and, or you can buy the book. And um, what I really do is want to encourage, inspire people to be their authenticity. And I like to say that I was uh, first nation before first nation was cool and now it's cool. So my lived experience is like, oh, okay, now you want me to come to the table. And some of the questions that I'm getting asked right now were internal questions that I had with myself. So I'm still trying to develop my words around how do I feel about this? How do I speak about this? And that's what this platform really means to me. And I'm so excited about being here with all of you. And um, thank you so much. Thank you so much to each of you for those really personal and thoughtful introductions. It's really generous to come into this space with that kind of openness for all of us. So we really appreciate that. Um, we have questions. Amy and I were laughing earlier. We're, we're people with countless questions. We're so excited and curious about your work. But I do want to say as a caveat, like, just ignore our questions if you have more interesting things to say <laughs> or if you want to ask each other things um we're more interested in that than we are in our own questions so we'll start with sort of directing things but if at any point you're like i want to know what crystal thinks about this um that's my caveat about that um i did want to ask um and this goes back to a question margaret shared with us um if you know we have a diverse listener community we talk about the coven we make in the dark between our ears and how that's like a meeting point in a podcast space for people who come from all around the world a real diversity of backgrounds um settler descendants colonizer descendants people who grew up you know off reservation with totally detached from the community who are trying to find a way back, descendants of enslaved people, people who are in really um, incredibly strict religious communities right now who for whom uh, this part of their spirituality is very secret. Um, we really hear from an incredible diversity of people. Um, so for those people, if they feel a longing towards a practice that they can identify as probably indigenous in origin, and they want to have a relationship with the natural world, for example, without, um, you know, perpetuating this kind of violence. What do you recommend? Is there is there a way in that feels appropriate um, or not? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, unless anybody wants to jump on that, I could perhaps pass it to Margaret since that was sort of a version of the question you shared with us. <laughs> uh, sure. Uh, so this is something I've had to do some thinking about um, in the context of what's a way for people who've been separated from our Indigenous traditions and cultures and ceremonies, uh, which for most people of my generation is everybody. Because um, until 1951, uh, it was illegal in Canada to participate in a lot of First Nations ceremonies. And so uh, we have sometimes parents, grandparents, elders who did not learn uh, those ceremonies themselves or the, don't know those traditions and couldn't pass them on. 
Um, and so for a lot of folks, there's, there's a search going on. Um, and people have different um, access to power in doing that search. And so uh, it's important to figure out where you fit in that uh, as a searcher and to think about uh, what, I mean, it's easy to be aware of what my needs are going into a space, but it's harder to imagine what some of the dangers I may be posing to people in that space are if I come in with uh, a lot of questions and uh, not uh, I'm not thinking in terms of reciprocity or what kind of um, burden I might be putting on people uh, who already have uh, pretty strapped access to resources. And so I've done a lot of thinking about it. Um, I'm also a vegan, so I, I tend to think in parallels, and one of the parallels that comes to mind here is um, when I get a craving for something and I think, oh, you know, I'm really missing, and so I'm thinking of when I used to eat meat and thinking, oh, gosh, I could really go for that, and then I do a little analysis where I'm asking myself, what is it I'm really craving? What is it that's missing? Is it salt? Is it fat? What is the, the, the thing that I'm seeking there? Um, and so I think for people who aren't Indigenous, who find themselves connecting to some Indigenous piece of ceremony or culture tradition, to stop and ask yourself, what is it about that that is calling to me? Because it might be easy to think that that's the thing that is calling to you, when really what's calling to you is that absence inside of yourself in your own history um, that is maybe waiting for you to discover it. The, the what did your ancestors do when that piece of them was missing? What was the thing that made them feel whole? And that's really where I think people need to find their answers. And so like that journey itself is worth doing. It's not just about finding the thing that fits in that spot. Um, it's about going there and looking for it and, and the person you become by doing that. And so I, I think that's, that's what I would recommend. And maybe other folks have a different approach to that. I'd like to just do a bit of a hot pursuit because I, I just can't help but think like I, I've, I come across this often um, in community and in and, and death work and particularly in death work. And, um, you know, I had a, on my dad's side, I have a cousin and, and her mom is, um, you know, very Irish, Scottish background. And, uh, you know, her, her dad is my dad's brother, the, the European side of the mix. And, um, you know, she, she was really excited to, you know, invite me along to these different drum circles she had started participating in and these different, you know, they were Indigenous spaces meant for Indigenous people. And uh, she was really excited. And, you know, you could, and she really talked about how uh, her spirit connected in those spaces. And, you know, I love my cousin very much. And, you know, I went along and I checked it out. And, um, and it, it was a great space. But, you know, it was also I could see things that she couldn't, um, like nobody else except for the facilitators were Indigenous. And everybody in the circle had drums and different, you know, like moccasins and things like that. And it was in the middle of the day during the week. And I just you know, I thought this was kind of strange because the people, you know, where are all the native people in this drum circle? And um, so I talked with her about that after that experience, um, you know, just how like lack of access and, you know, a lot of people don't have these spiritual items unless they're part of a, you know, going to a, something that's paid for by like a nonprofit to bring in a drum maker and all these other things. So there was you know, like the re re access to resources, like you mentioned, 
Um, but what I really asked her was, you know, look at your own history, your own genealogy. There's, and I had so much success explaining um, Anishinaabeg people to, you know, a boardroom of, of bros and suits. Um, you know, like, what does that mean? What's Anishinaabe? And I said, well, think of it as like, you know, being like Irish or Celtic or something like that. Like there were tribes, there was, there were hand drums, there were, you know, we have this really base historical level as people where we felt safe around campfires and we, we knew that we would survive and have sustenance. So um, with that connection and that kinship. So that's what I tell people, go back to your own family tree, you know, and find where these connections are parallel for you. And, uh, you know, that's such a great word, parallel, because it's there. And it's okay to come into a space saying, this is who I am, and this is what I carry. Um, and to find those, those bits of that resonate with you in, in other ways. Um, you know, I've heard several elders say, like, they don't turn anybody away, really, if you're coming to the circle to join, and it's with good intention and good heart, you're going to be welcome. But it's also to, uh, you know, 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 your, know, your, know your manners and, uh, you know, make sure that you're not um, taking up space that maybe you shouldn't be. And to also just take time to ask those questions. That's, that's a big piece. So, yeah, it just came to mind. <laughs> awesome. So this is GDC. Um... I love this is the type of questions that we get to talk about in this circle and in society at this point. What I would like to say is that when when you look at First Nation people, more so like within, you know, uh, Native American and Canada and Indigenous, you need to go back and understand that a lot of these cultures were they the government or whomever was trying to erase them which is a little bit different than looking at other other situations you know what they literally were trying to i mean the long walk um and the, you know, the Trail of Tears, the Long Walk of the Navajo, the Trail of Tears, it goes on and on and on and on and on. And so when you approach that culture, understand that that is a very a DNA memory that may run in the bloodline of that individual. And then you appreciate that and you honor and you respect and come with curiosity to learn appreciation, cultural appreciation is something very different than cultural appropriation. The appropriation is when an individual or a group of individuals goes into a culture and claims and annexes and takes away and represents that as though it was never that culture's in the first place. And that's the harm. You know, it's like going into somebody's kitchen and, and cooking and, and making food and, and they're just kind of like sitting on the couch going, what the hell, you know, what are you doing? And so the best way that I like to explain this, and this is an early on conversation for me, and I'm still developing, you know, because I do have that pain and I understand the, the anger that some people feel. But at the other hand, what I'm like, if we just approach each other with respect, 
understanding, wanting to learn, and then curiosity and let people know this is that tradition and they invited me to be a part of it that is totally cool you know that is totally cool and I love that parallel because I think that with just being First Nation Native American um, I look at it and I'm and I like the idea of what is it that you are seeking because if you go far back enough in anybody's culture on the face of this earth, we all sat in circle, we all shared as a tribe, we all had the fire, we all did. And so maybe you're looking for tribe, which let's create tribe then, let's create these types of things. And it's a little bit more difficult too, being like half and half, so to speak, because I have, that's why I'm a bridge. I'm like, well, you know, let's go ahead. Part of me has to approach part of me to say, am I appropriating? I have to have those conversations inside of myself. Yes, I have been called a half breed. Yes, I get it. You know, but at the end of the day, we're starting to move into more societal things where there are a lot of mixed cultures coming together. And I would also say that this is only, this is beyond just like race. This is also talking about how do you approach um, the LGBTQ plus community? How do you approach somebody who is different than you? Well, you do it out of respect and you understand where they're coming from and then they get to approach you and we get to have these wonderful conversations. This is such a great question. I just wanna thank Dr. Robinson for um, you know, sending it in to help us start off the conversation. And this is a question that my my dear friend and collaborator, um, Dr. Amar Kandi, sir, and I work on. Amar is a white settler sound artist and geographer in Australia. And um, we've been working for the last few years thinking about, you know, how do you respectfully engage in a place that um, you might not be from? And obviously they're coming at it from a white settler perspective. I'm coming at it as a Métis person who's been living in lots of different indigenous people's homelands outside of my homeland <laughs> and how do you know how do I work in Ottawa in Crystal's homelands <laughs> unceded and unsurrendered homelands in Ottawa um Algonquin homelands and I've worked in uh the Northwest Territories with the Nuvialuit knowledge keepers on how they apply their laws to protect fish and water and um like as an indigenous person you know when when an elder says you know, I can share this with you, but this other part, I can't tell you it's not for you. That's really natural to me, right? Like, I'm like, yeah, of course, I, I totally understand that. Like, there's things you can't tell me, and I'm not going to press you on it because I respect your boundaries. Um, and I think, so what Amr is trying to do in their work is to sort of normalize that kind of approach for white people <laughs> and sort of say, like, there are things that just aren't for you and it's okay that they're not for you, for white people. And um, kind of, so everything that everyone already already said, I think really resonates with the work that we've been trying to do as well, which is uh, Amr approaches it through listening and what they call attunement. And so listening, really listening to where you are and, and sort of like the one lesson they wanna impart to settlers, like white people who are descendants of those who actively colonized homelands through genocide. Um, you know, sort of that lesson of 
like knowing in your body when you have permission to do something and when you don't, and even learning to listen to a place, like if the place is telling you, like, I don't want you here, maybe go to another part of the forest or, and those kind of like, just really encouraging, because I think with at least how colonization unfolded in Canada, which is the one place I can speak to with, you know, sort of knowledge, I, I spent time living in the UK and what really struck me about white British culture is that there's like this unfeelingness that runs through a lot of like British or at least English <laughs> society. And, and they've done a great deal of harm both within their sort of islands and then expanded that outward. And and so, you know, they sent the, the wealthy British people historically sent their children away to boarding schools. And then they recreated that uh, everywhere that they went and with like, far more sinister intent um, when they were using it as a genocidal tool but that unfeelingness like I felt it in my body when I was studying in the UK and I just it was really upsetting <laughs> to sort of realize like that how much they had shut down to kind of get through uh, and maybe just avoid that reckoning with with what's been done in their name and so I, I hope this is making sense but that's a separate conversation than the conversation that we try to have about listening and attunement with people from communities that have been violently displaced and dispossessed in other parts of the world uh, by white colonizers. And so um, in that case, we're trying to open up space to sort of talk about like, uh, how do we make these, it, Rebecca Louise Carter is this really brilliant anthropologist uh, and she, she works with women who've lost family in New Orleans. And she has this concept of um, like black women who've lost family in New Orleans and she has this concept that she calls restorative kinship and I really love that concept and I don't want to appropriate it from the context that she's writing in with the like the community members she's co-thought that with but I like the kind of idea of like aspects of sort of honoring that concept of restorative kinship like how do we build relations with place and with with humans and more than humans that really takes into account our obligations to one another and is thoughtful and also reckons with like the histories of white supremacy, acknowledges that there are many, many communities that have been harmed uh, and like what kind of futures do we wanna build together? And so like, as everyone said, like curiosity, care, listening, you know, um, listening to your body. What, like, what do you, like as Margaret said, like what, what are you missing? And like, what is this uh, experience giving you? And is there a way you can do that um, with integrity that, and I guess it's breaking down that idea of ownership that whiteness has. Um, there's this really brilliant Africana philosopher named Lewis Gordon. And I really like his work because he's very thoughtful. And he talks about like whiteness as a form of narcissism. And he has a new book coming out. And there's just, I just read quickly like a little bit of it. And he describes whiteness as, I'm paraphrasing him, so I don't want to um, misrepresent his words, but he sort of talks about whiteness as like, white, whiteness is like, the whiteness is like who comes to the party and sort of says like aren't you glad I'm here <laughs> like, and and like being able to kind of you know just just uh, unpack that and sort of say like well no we're not actually glad you're here you're not honoring us by taking this aspect of our culture in fact you're doing it in a way that doesn't respect boundaries and I guess it's really coming back to those like core emotions of like uh like are you feeling fear are you feeling you know and like being able to kind of like actually unpack that um I think that so many people put so much work into creating the space for us to be able to have those intimate and vulnerable conversations about who we are and who we were obligated to. And so I just feel really excited because I think that we're in a time 
where I think it's more possible, like, like, like people who've done that work to lay the groundwork have made it more possible for us to sort of say like, no, I don't really believe what you're saying. Like you, you think you're doing this in an honorable way, but it's not. And, it, and it's, you're not a bad person, but you need to come into better relations. And like being able to do that is really, really important. Um, but it takes a lot of time and work. And um, yeah, so exactly what all the people uh, on the panel have already said, like, it's just, it's a process. Uh, and doing that with care, just like how Crystal described, bringing your cousin in and unpacking that experience. Like that's just, that's the total, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's how to do it. Like just have these conversations um, and, and yeah. Anyways, I'm gonna stop there, but just everyone just so brilliant. <laughs> so great. I, I want to uh, bring one other brilliant voice to the conversation who's not here right now, but I recently spoke to uh, an Ojibwe uh, medicine person, author, Asha Frost, and the vocabulary that she uses for the earth um, is the same that she uses for culture. She uses the term extraction. So um, I think we can work with the earth where it's a, a mutual aid, or we can go in and we can, you know, pillage the land. And I think that that's exactly the same thing that happens with other cultures, you know, in globally indigenous cultures. So in the spirit of reciprocity, let's have a reminder that this episode is a fundraiser. Let's make some reparations. Let's do some reciprocity and be mindful of our extraction techniques. And thank you to the people who have already during the first 45 minutes of this live episode, sent in your donation receipts. I see them coming in our group email and it's really emotional and rad. For real? For real? <laughs> yeah, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Now let's yeah. hear a bit about that fundraiser. So take your screenshot of your receipt, email it to missingwitches at gmail.com with the subject line donation, plus the amount of your donation. Lucky donors will win amazing prizes and everyone who donates will get a digital coupon book with discount codes from our favorite witchy businesses. We'll run the fundraiser from today through the month of May. Winners will be drawn at random and announced on June 1st. <laughs> I want... I want to pick up this idea Zoe introduced um, and we've spoken with um, Edgar Fabian Frias, who's an indigenous thinker, gender expansive spirit that we've been lucky to have on the podcast before and we'll share a conversation with him again um, next week, I believe. But he talk, they talk about um, indigenous futures. So what is, what is the future you wanna see? What does it look like? Can you help us picture it? And can we help call it forth together? Are there pieces of it that connect to this idea of kinship with the more than human world? Are there pieces of it that we can find through this attunement, through listening in our bodies to where we're comfortable, where we feel joy, where we feel like we could be in better reciprocity? Would you think out loud about that with us? I suppose I can kick that one off. Um, great question. And it can go in so many different ways. But I think that especially coming off of the 
dialogue that we just had about you know appropriation and extraction and recognition and curiosity i think that i would like to say that give everybody an exercise so that you can work with the natural world wherever you are on the globe and that would be very simple I have quite a few different exercises, but I'll just choose a simple one. So breathe, go out into the natural world. It could be your backyard, a park, go to the beach, you know, the mountains, wherever you want. Feel the weather, touch a tree, and know that that tree knows that you are touching it. There is an intellect among all of the natural world, it's called animism. Everything has a soul, everything has a consciousness. Go out there and realize that the bird that you just saw probably saw you first. Kind of sit there instead of feeling separate, like you're watching a movie, be the participant in that experience. Know that that squirrel saw you and yes, he thinks you have a peanut and yes, he's gonna come up and check you out and then he's gonna run or away, you know? Know that you, it, you are being viewed as much as you are viewing. You are being observed as much as you are observing. And I think that that is a beautiful way to help each of our bodies, human existence bodies, whether you are red body, white body, black body, whatever yellow body, whatever you are, you can go out there and know that the natural world, you're a part of it you are a part of it. So that's what I would say. I would say, let's start experiencing it. We talk so intelligently about our confusion, but let's do something. Go outside. Oh, and one more. Um, go to that same place in the morning and observe, maybe even write down what you're observing, how it's observing you. Do the same thing at noon. It's going to be a little different right? Do the same thing at night or in the evening. It's going to be a little different and start connecting yourself with the realities of what's going on because reading a book is wonderful, but taking action and feeling it like Zoe was saying, feeling it within your body, that's where the phenomenon starts taking place. The phenomenon and the experience and not thinking so much about is this experience right or wrong, just touch the tree, you know, and feel it and know that it knows that you are touching it and it is touching you back. I want to keep passing this question along, but I also just want to pause to highlight, we talk so intelligently about our confusion. I felt that one. <laughs> Anyone else want to pick up this idea of a possible future and how we get there together? Uh, I'll say some stuff. Um, so I, I guess when I think about the future, I think about uh, dismantling. So a lot of the work that I do, people ask about, oh, you know, how do we, uh, how do we indigenize the academy? 
And I keep telling them, uh, we don't do that yet. We, <laughs> we have to decolonize before we indigenize. Uh, it's like shampoo, then conditioner. <laughs> uh, you have to wash out all the bad stuff <laughs> um, and see what you've got left and then uh, start building up again. And so I think about that sort of on the social level as well. Uh, you know, I think we need to dis dismantle toxic masculinity, uh, acknowledge that toxic masculinity also damages the men that it, uh, <laughs> it resides within. Um, and similarly, I think um, Zoe's point about trauma, we can look at what, what would a trauma-informed approach to dismantling social inequity look like uh, by acknowledging that the people who are doing the colonizing are also heavily traumatized people. Um, the, I'm not a historian, but uh, I, I do notice when I look at where some of the people who were active in colonizing in what's currently Canada came from, uh, their history had recently included traumatic colonial experiences of their own that they then replicate in new spaces. And so uh, I, I think it's interesting when you start looking at some of those histories to ask what was the, the way that trauma maybe influenced their actions and their behaviors. Um, to see like what would it be what would have been different if they hadn't had that experience of children of being separated from their parents at an early age and raised in an institution for instance uh, or if they hadn't had the experience of being forced to speak a standardized form of their language instead of the language that was distinct to their region uh, and and so on there are lots of experiences that were um, traumatic for uh, groups that later became colonizers. And so I think to, to realize that this isn't, uh, colonization isn't just the work of evil people doing evil things. It's the work of damaged people replicating the damage that they experienced in new ways, in ways that maybe uh, reassured them that they were never going to be powerless again. And so we have to think about um, how do we involve people whose ancestors did those things, maybe very recently, you know, we sometimes talk about colonization as if it happened long ago, um, but people of my generation went to residential school uh, and many of them, you know, residential schools continued late until the nineties, even in Canada. So um, th those experiences of, of genocide are still very current for a lot of folks. And so how do you engage with people who uh, don't know that history, uh, but who are being shaped by it? And I, I think our cultures have been historically welcoming and encouraging of people to get to know us, um, but there's also a burden with that. Um, you know, people have a lot of questions when they discover that big chunks of their history are missing. And just because someone has questions and they want to learn doesn't obligate uh, the people they're asking to teach them. Uh, I know sometimes the burden of uh, teaching and educating sometimes falls on people who are already heavily burdened and whose resources are already strapped. And so, you know, it's not up to people of color to educate us about racism. It's not up to indigenous people to educate everyone about colonialism, although we often do. And it means that that energy can't go to other things. And so I think there can be lessons to be learned from the spiritual traditions that we have inherited. So I've, for instance, had difficulty knowing when to stop working. And uh, an Indigenous friend was talking about uh, protocols around medicine picking. 
and how you don't pick all the medicine. <laughs> and so I started thinking about this in relation to my own energy levels, like stop picking all your medicine. <laughs> you need to leave some to regenerate and, and to grow. Um, and so I think there are a lot of parallels that we can draw on from the wisdom traditions that we have about how to do stuff in a good way. Um, it doesn't mean we're never gonna make mistakes, but um, I think it gives us a, a good hint as to how we can start undoing some of the mistakes that people have already made in the past. Yeah, go for it. You guys can just unmute. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm gonna jump in if that's okay. Of course. Um, yeah, no, I just, I love, I love that embodied practice that you just shared, um, Granddaughter Crow, and just like that uh, invite invitation uh, to people to really pay attention to where they are. And um, yeah, and that, and it, I think that, yeah, and then everything that Margaret just said, like just, <laughs> just really resonating with me um, around recognizing, because uh, I, I, so I, I don't know that I would say I'm a witch. I wouldn't say that I have like a practice that I follow that is necessarily in the traditions that, that I, probably some of your listeners follow, but I have been thinking of colonialism as a curse. And that came out of living in Ottawa and Scotland and really thinking about forms of curses that um, have been enacted. And, and I was trying to understand what I meant by curse. And so I put it in words and I said, I feel like it's the intentional bending of light, time and space to obscure things. And that some of our work is to just dismantle, like Margaret was saying, dismantle that, like, like whatever power source or whatever is being used to obscure and bend light and time and space and, and distort them and, and, and restore them to more um, integral and ethical and rooted sort of, you know, ways of existing. And I don't know if that makes sense. Maybe it resonates with some folks, maybe it doesn't. But I was trying to think of like in Ottawa, the land is so powerful and so beautiful. And you, you get these, like just, you get this feeling of how amazing, and I'm not Algonquin, so I'm, I don't want to appropriate Algonquin practice, but like just that feeling of like, this is very powerful land. I think that's why, you know, I, I, I can see how, you know, settlers kind of wound up here and, and felt this draw to this place to kind of possess it and, and, and make it a seat of power. Um, and I really felt like part of my job of being there wasn't so much being an academic, like that was almost like my cover. <laughs> it was more that I had this responsibility to understand the curses and then like to spend time with them and then try to figure out how to unravel them with my amazing friends and colleagues. And like, where can I best, you know, put my energy and I really love that idea Margaret of like like we don't pick all the medicines why would like I am a workaholic like I really struggle with that boundary with work because I feel like I need to like there's so much to do we have to dismantle so much and I just need to do it all in this lifetime and ah and so that's really a good reminder this morning too I'm it's morning over here sorry <laughs> um anyways I think that the future I envision is is one where we've been able to dismantle a lot of these curses, like you said, Margaret, like this dismantling them and diffusing them and restoring those distorted narratives. And I really think of like the enlightenment and all like all the knowledge that came out of colonization and white supremacy, like starting in 1441 with like the, the, the start of the enslavement of African peoples by the Portuguese and then the Spanish and other um, European colonizers or Tiffany King calls them conquistadors you know just sort of like the violence of it you know um, she says settler isn't powerful enough to describe that violence so she calls it conquistador humanism like 
it's just riddled with so many curses and they and they like they actively took knowledge from people all over the globe and then just kind of distorted it to say like no 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 we discovered this and it's like you didn't discover it <laughs> like you had you had you know what they would have called native informants you know which is not a term that is respectful but is you know how they would have understood it uh who were showing them like where med medicine plants were where to find water where to you know and i guess so the future I envision, I hope, is that we've been able to like break a lot of those curses and just sort of say, here's how it really happened. Here's how here's how we can be in, you know, um, we can be in relation to one another and with integrity. And um, so again, like Lewis Gordon talks about like ego and narcissism being a really big part of white supremacy and colonialism. And I think that idea of damage that you brought up, Margaret, is really relevant to that as well, that like, uh, I guess it's that idea of like, th there's healing to be done in many different contexts, but the people who also reenacted their harm and, and committed genocide, they have to do that healing, but it can't come at the expense of the people they hurt, I guess. And so like finding that way through it um, is something I'm trying to understand. Like, how do we, so I sort of say like, I think there's an impulse of white academics who kind of come into indigenous spaces and they'll be like, oh, I love that we're having a circle. I can share everything. I'm gonna share all the guilt I feel. And what I wanna say is I know that you're a tenured academic and you have very, very good therapy coverage. Go take that to your therapist. Like that, you know, you know, marginalized folks, like those kind of sharing circles can be um, like healing for folks who don't have access to therapy, but you have access to therapy and it's so inappropriate for you to come here with your white guilt. You know, and I have a white mom and an indigenous dad. I try really hard to not be that person that's sort of like taking up space in indigenous context as an indigenous person. It's like, I am a tenured professor. I have access to therapy. I take that stuff to therapy. I try to, um, and for me, what I've been really trying to work on is, um, and I, you know, just to, to really be able to um, support that kind of uh, work in, in various spaces to sort of say like, we're here to undo the curses together. Some of us have more resources to do that than others. Um, how do we redirect those resources so that more people have access to them? So that's kind of the future I envision, yeah. I could see Amy and I both do a full body nod and go to write down, we're here to undo the curses together. <laughs> I, I totally love that uh let's apply curse language to colonialism i like it it's Fuck yes. very very fitting um yeah i'm I, just my you know you, there's been so much awesomeness said you know uh but i i really i really when i think about that uh futurism that those indigenous futurisms it is you know moving the the harmed the traumatized you know forward in a good way and it is um you know dismantling and it's you know it's all of that and um and there i, I kind of wanted to go last just because i have kind of a, a jump off question for margaret after um <laughs> you've been warned um <laughs> but uh it's i really just see you know all the resources and all these generations that have gone into dismantling indigenous wellness, dismantling our families, dismantling our communities. I want the same, I wanna see the same investment for rebuilding and restoring and reclaiming. Um, 
I feel in a lot of ways that the time is right to, um, you know, in Canada, we have uh, testing for our, our, our kids and are they on the right level and they get like in certain grades they're tested to make sure they're on par with you know the world and you know there's a lot of teaching for tests and a lot of um you know ideas that we give our kids and and really we just hope that they they're happy and they're well and they're safe and cared for but I think it's a really good time to move away from all of that with this you know pandemic and it's a really important time where we can really um appreciate that our survival skills, our well-being, our mental, you know, our holistic wellness, it's the time to center that. And, you know, we have, uh, you know, as humanity, we have what we need to do that work. And I really think about that future of, you know, just, it's got to be restorative. Um, so for myself, so much of this you know, I kind of live to I aim for that futurism. Uh, you know, I took my kids out of school, I homeschooled them, all kinds of good stuff. And one's an adult now and one's on her way. But, uh, you know, they're, they're well, and they're stable, and they're safe, and they have their needs met. And um, that's really the point, right? Uh, but when I think about that future piece, um, so much of it is centering that can the connections the connections to plant life the connections you know just like gdc said you know about like that embodiment work of taking time to really understand your place on this planet because it's you know we're not the apex predator we're you know dependent on every every other you know form of living being so let's let's go back to that place that's what i would like to see is is um, understanding the spirituality that that animism that exists and everything. And, um, and for myself, for so many years, I looked to try and study my, um, you know, indigenous spirituality. And all I could find were, okay, but you have to study, you know, Catholicism or, or, you know, uh, Judaism, and, you know, you, you can, but you got to take some of the big three or something, you know, you got to take some of this pie if you want to have time for that. So, um, so I'm just curious a bit, uh, Margaret, how how it's been for you to to have that curiosity as the non-participant that, you know, thirst for learning. And, you know, I feel like there's there's definitely going to be a space where you have this, you know, that indigenous spirituality, that inherent way of knowing about certain things and, and certain connections that we have and the spirit. And I'm just, yeah, I'm so curious of how it's been going studying religion because, there's always this place where you get to when when I've been looking where indigenous spirituality they say no that's religion and they want to stuff you into a box and say okay now you're you're talking about religious practice and you know it's just it's culture it's a way of living it's a way of looking so it's it doesn't really fit in a box so yeah I'm just curious how you know, how that sits with you when you're, when you've done so much kind of that academic work, and then you, you talk to people, they're like, do you really want to learn it in school? Or do you want to learn in community? And I'm like, can I have both? Like, <laughs> so yeah, kind of a wishy-washy question, but if anything comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, um, like I, had, I went to uh, my uh, undergrad university 
wanting to be a writer. So I took English, uh, but I had a bunch of other credits to fill. So I started taking some other courses and uh, I just had a really great run of indigenous studies, religious studies teachers. Uh, and it got me interested primarily in why were some particularly Christian people so homophobic? Um, and so I was kind of interested in it, maybe I, I would say now from like a sociological angle. Um, and so, you know, I was reading the authoritarian personality and uh, <laughs> delving into Horkheimer and Adorno and trying to find out like what makes some people uh, want to do what other people tell them um, and trying to sort of figure out how does it function. And I think maybe in the back of my mind, I had this idea of like, well, if I can understand how it works, I could fix it and make it make it make homophobia never happen uh you know a nice small achievable goal like that um but uh my i had an advisor uh, maggie abdul nasi at saint mary's uh, she just retired this year uh and she said well when you're looking to go to grad school if you take religious studies you'll understand how other people secular people view religious people um but if you take theology you'll understand how religious people view themselves and so i did that i took theology and uh, it was a great experience because it, it was exactly what she said. It was understanding how people see themselves, how, how they talk to each other, how they understand their own identity developing. And they've done a lot of work in it. Like they've, they've been doing this a long time in that field, uh, understanding how to make new Christians. Um, and uh, my focus was on Catholicism specifically. Um, so looking at how does that, um, how does it function? Uh, how do people adopt homophobic attitudes within it? And what I noticed was it seemed to be about othering, um, that part of having the uh, walls of your identity be firm was about defining who was outside those walls. And uh, so for instance, I happened to notice that as Catholicism got less anti-Judaic, it got more homophobic. Um, it was almost as if the other doesn't matter, like it, the, the who the other is, it could be anyone they slot in there. And so I, I started noticing similar patterns in other groups that the, the insider outsider line was, was really key for a lot of cultures and their identity was really rooted in that. And I think as I came to understand my own um, Mi'kmaq culture more, I saw something different. I saw that it wasn't about the line between insider and outsider. It was more about your place in a network and a system and a connections. Um, and so I, I see it more as a, a difference of emphasis that uh, I, I know you can categorize the world. I, I've seen the places that do it and work uh, people who work on that, um, but not everything and many, maybe nothing fully fits into the categories that it's in. Um, there's always pieces of the story that have to get left out to make those categories work. I see it with identity, I see it with sexuality. And so seeing the way that we're networked and the way that we're connected, uh, that's been really helpful for me because it helped me see the world through a, a different perspective. Um, so yeah, that's uh, coming to it, uh, like approaching it from a position of wanting to support wellness, to support health. Um, I think it's like uh, Granddaughter Crow is saying that uh, when people are separated from their connection to nature, um, when they've only seen the box that they're in and they don't know what's beyond that, um, there's a, a big piece there that's missing. That relationship, uh, it's not just a piece of identity that's gone, it's, a, it's a, all those connections to the other beings in the world. Um, and then I went to a, a vegan conference and saw a presentation about our own internal 
uh, <laughs> biosystem of <laughs> small <laughs> animals and bacteria and, and realize, oh, we're also an ecosystem. So like, there's really no end to it. Like, you know, even the boundaries of our own body are not fully ourselves. Uh, so it, even as a secular person seeing this and saying, I can see why people use religious language for it because there's something about it that is overwhelming and awesome. So much yes to all of what Margaret just said. We definitely have people in our coven, our community who explained to us that they began to identify with they, them pronouns with exactly that same moment of realization that they are multiple, that that boundary wasn't really real, you know, um, and that impacted not just their identity, but their whole, everything about who they are and how they interact. Um, I did say I would open it up to questions, uh, which is hard because I have 7,000 more of my own, but also I will uh, threaten and say, um, we will reach out to each of the members on this panel and uh, humbly request more of your time. We love to do like a one-on-one -on -one episode with each person. If, if you have more time for us at any point in the next year, um, we love to get to dig deeper into your work. We would be really honored to have you. And then I'll get to ask more of my 7,000 questions, but for now, um, Kelly, thank you so much for raising your hand and for being here. Go ahead. Thank you so much for this. I'm, I'm just, my jaws on the floor. <laughs> this has been amazing. And I too probably have about a million questions, but, um, uh, I'll say too, I'm on unceded Algonquin territory as uh, settler stock and um, see my tiny contribution towards reconciliation or decolonization as being um, addressing my, my kin, if, if I can put it that way, and what are some of the things that we're doing and maybe could be doing better. Um, so I feel like this is kind of an an unachieved question, you know, there's maybe bigger things to talk about, but I'd be curious to hear what you think. I'll add to that a lot of my work is in, is in death care. And I see this was touched upon. Um, part of that work is trying to help. And I see it, especially with in, within white Western culture is with this idea that not everything is for us. There are limits to everything. And that applies to climate change. It applies to our own, our own deaths. And certainly it applies to appropriation. So I'll give a specific example, but um, obviously it's about bigger things than this, but I, I'd love to hear what you think about smudging because especially within the witch community, um, I encounter this regularly and uh, there'll be no indigenous people present, you know, from Turtle Island. And there's a sense that, uh, there's just a sense of entitlement around this. Um, for many of us, saining is in our cultural backgrounds, but what's happening here looks nothing like uh, a, a traditional saining practice would be. And I'm just wondering what your thoughts are around this. I tend to use it as a, an opportunity to talk about the fact that, again, not everything is for us. And maybe, maybe some of what's asked of us is to leave this alone just as an act of solidarity but maybe that's a mistake. Maybe this is an opportunity for relationship building or for developing, you know, a kinship with the plants. And um, so, yeah, I would just, I would love to hear what, uh, what some of the panelists think about this. Thank you. Well, I, 
I do know that for myself, um, I, it kind of comes back to that uh, experience I had with my cousin. You know, look to your own culture um, because we're, you know, we're not the only culture that uses smudging. It's, it's a widely, you know, held practice with different plant medicines. Um, I think it's really important to consider um, the access of the medicines, like where did you get it from? We know that uh, white sage is being abused in their traditional uh, territories. And, you know, I feel like others could speak to this better, um, but uh, it, it can be tricky. I think for myself, I prefer, like I tell people like, you know, just go find yourself a native person. <laughs> But, you know, if, if that's not feasible, then, you know, why do you want to do that? And, and is there a medicine that's, that's accessible to you that you can do that with? And in Algonquin territory, we have uh, clary sage or Algonquin sage that grows everywhere. Um, lots in out east, actually, I found out on a recent road trip, too. So, um, but yeah, that's my two cents. I'll, I'll share the mic. <laughs> Awesome. So granddaughter Crow here. I love the question because it is practical in nature. And um, I would say I definitely agree with what Crystal had said about there are other things that you can burn. And so then I also want to reflect on what Margaret had said earlier about what is it that you are looking for when you are doing that act. So if you are looking for cleansing. There are so many other ways to do cleansing. So kind of figure out what you want. The act of burning is a very beautiful act because it's a transformational thing. And I can see, especially with people who work closely with death, burning is a very wonderful thing. But we can also burn incense, we can burn candles, we can burn, I love cedar, because I look at the plant itself. And for me, the juniper bush is not something that I want to go up and hug. So I, I see that it's very protective in nature. And so then I go, Oh, I want to put protection around you know, go outside, you know, sometimes I leave a coin or leave something when I take something and, and then I, and then I, I'll burn the cedar. And so, you know, I don't want to get too hung up on personally, because I get asked this question too, personally, you know, listen to your spirit, listen to your body, look at the work that you're doing, be aware that there are other things that you can burn, and that burning things isn't necessarily, um, it's the act of doing it, and think about what is it, and secondly, the, the nose and the sense of smell is one of our biggest memory recallers. So maybe you're really hooked on the sage because it draws up these memories of cleansing. So then what I would say, if you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't burn as much sage. I'm not telling you to burn sage or not. That's up to you and your spirit and your awareness. But I'm saying, if you want to maybe burn less because of the shortages, then go into meditation which is really easy. Put your little fingertips together, inhale through the nose for a few counts, 
hold it within the body and exhale through the mouth. You do this for like three minutes. You are from, you know, you're, you're into an alpha state. You're into this and then pull that energy. But while you're doing this, burn something else. Maybe it is a certain other scent so that you can start attaching what you are smelling and feeling with that scent. And then when you don't have time because you're running around and you need to get into that space really quickly for somebody, you just burn your little incense or burn, burn that candle or smell that lavender in the dram or whatever it is. So that's, that's what I would say. I love everything everyone's already said. And my, my only thought is um, I have some friends and colleagues, Laura Ogden and Nicholas Rio, and they've done stuff they've done work, sorry, on invasive plants in the Great Lakes. And one of, and Nick is uh, Anishinaabe and Laura is a white scholar, but they, um, they work with community members. And uh, the lesson that kind of came around invasive plants was that if they're here, they have something to teach us. And so, you know, something that also I think is appropriate for white settlers to do is sort of maybe look around and see like, what invasive plants did colonizers bring here that are now sitting right there for you to do plant medicine work with? And so, like, I've fallen in love with the purple dead nettle in my yard. I'm just totally taken by it. It's just so beautiful. And I, it's obviously trying to tell me something. And so, in the spirit of that lesson that Laura and Nick have, you know, sort of shared through their work with community members, I'm also trying to listen to, like, what do some of these so called invasive species have to say and like obviously they're not invasive they didn't have a choice they were brought here you know and they've made lives here and, and they do I really like that idea that they have something to tell us so um yeah so I've been now I'm paying attention to all of the sort of so-called weeds that I find and they all have really powerful roles and so I think that's something very ethical for white settlers to work with are the plants that that you co-transported maybe not on purpose but got here anyways <laughs> and and there's abundance of them uh, and maybe that can also help shift the balance between those plants and and the species that were here to help sort of affect you know address the fact that um, you know things like white sage and others have, have been so heavily impacted by colonial extraction and things like that anyways that's that's my thought but all of everything everyone said just makes so much sense this is the greatest podcast <laughs> this is just like just to get to talk about like real practical embodied things is such a nice like that's so nice <laughs> so thank you the greatest podcast you guys you just made the greatest podcast <laughs> um, I feel like it's so empowering what you're suggesting in response to this question too, right? Like if we are children of settler descendants and we carry this wall of like not being allowed to feel, not being supposed to feel um, that kind of, and then the, the, the sort of violence that happened in our families, our version of playing out that, that colonialism sometimes it can feel like you're not supposed to have a relationship with a plant or the earth at all. You know, you're just supposed to buy and consume relationships. Your, your relationship with the world is you, you, you use your labor and your body to buy things, to keep capital spinning until you die. And that's how you're allowed to interact with the world. You know, I think that's sort of as part of the colonial, colonial settler body, right? So to be told like, 
No, you're allowed to have a relationship with plants. Just don't fucking steal everybody else's relationship with plants. You know? You're allowed to listen to your body. You're allowed to, 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 to smell a plant, to, to listen to it, to hear it. That's okay. That's not stealing a culture. You know, just don't. Anyway, it's really, it's, it's a really empowering shift that you're, that you're offering in the response to that question and, and in everything you've said here. Thank you so much. Um, we have four minutes left. I We try to be real strict about time with our guests so that we don't take more than we've asked for. Amy, do you wanna call it out? Call out the, the gifts again one more time? I do, but first, um, once again, I think like, um, we have questions for uh, First Nations people, but now we live in a time where First Nations people are writing books like Granddaughter Crow, and they are producing work that we can purchase. So, you know, perhaps we can purchase some work before we go and ask people for their, <laughs> for their labor and their, and their time. And once again, in that spirit, um, I want to remind everyone that this is a fundraiser, but before I do my spiel, I want to ask Margaret and Crystal and GDC and Zoe, can we just go around very quickly so you can tell our listeners where they can find you, um, if, how they can support your current project, and then we'll circle back to my speech. Margaret. Uh, well, I, I don't have uh, <laughs> I don't have any sort of uh, economic <laughs> uh, connection to folks, but uh, yeah, if you're looking to talk to me about culture and wellness, uh, I work at Dalhousie University. You can find me there at mrobinson at dal.ca, D-A-L. Um, and if you just Google Margaret Robinson, uh, you'll probably find me. There are some other Margaret Robinsons who are also uh, in academia. Uh, one of them is a well-known mathematician. <laughs> but um, I, if you Google, like, if you add in indigenous or bisexual <laughs> or queer <laughs> or two-spirit, uh, you, that you'll find the one that's me. <laughs> Um, I, before we wrap up, I just want to say on the smudging thing uh, to recognize that uh, these traditions are still in, in process and still developing. Uh, so Wanda Whitebird, uh, a Mi'kmaq elder who does uh, work with people living with HIV uh, in order to do smudging in hospitals where you couldn't burn stuff, uh, developed a way to do a wet smudge. And so there are, there are new types of this kind of activity developing all the time. Um, and so it's, it's not just a, a thing frozen in time, it's, it's a live culture. Um, and I love the way that uh, challenges like that bring out new creative uh, inspiration in people. Thank you. Granddaughter Crow, what's the title of your latest book? Okay, so um, I spoke about Wisdom of the Natural World. Um, which is, we did a podcast on that, which is um, episode 100. You can get that Amazon, wherever you get your books. It's produced by Call Out to Llewellyn Worldwide, my publisher. And um, my next book is coming out actually June 8th, and it is called Belief, Being, and Beyond. So when Margaret was talking about the comparative religions and Crystal posed that question and Zoe's talking about these things, I'm like, oh, this book is about bringing all of our similarities together. And we are probably going to uh, Missing Witches, I'll be on their podcast, I think in June or something like that, to be able to talk about this. So look for that. And otherwise, Google Granddaughter Crow, 
And all that stuff is mine because that's just a weird ass name, right? Most people go, oh, I'm an elder. Call me grandmother. And I'm like, oh, if it wasn't for my grandfather and spirit, I wouldn't be here. So I'm granddaughter and it keeps my ego right sized. Um, www.granddaughtercrow.com. Thank you listeners for doing this. And thank you Missing Witches for doing this. And I hope we raise a lot of money for more awareness. Crystal. Oh, uh, Instagram at crystal underscore Dawn with an E. Uh, also at Blackbird Medicines. Um, got the website too, blackbirdmedicines.ca. And we're on Facebook, here, there, everywhere. Um, we're working on an Indigenous Death Doula training program. Uh, if you're not Indigenous, please don't ask me to take this course. Um, that's how you can support me. So thank you so much. Yes. <laughs> it's an honor to be here. And I'm, I'm going to, this is going to just rock my rest of my spring. So thank you. And of course, all of these links will be in the show notes for the, uh, this episode. So everybody, you can head to our website, Dr. Zoe Todd. Um, just deep gratitude to everyone uh, and, and thank you to Missing Witches for hosting us and this was just I just feel so good after this like just everyone on the panel was so brilliant um, you can find me online uh, you can go to Instagram I'm Dr. Fish Philosopher Todd I think or Dr. Fish Philosopher over there and there there's like a link tree and it'll take you to my various different um, platforms and I work with the Institute for Freshwater Fish Teachers which is just kind of our cheeky little collaborative way of building beyond the university and so we have a website uh, freshwaterfishfutures.ca and that's where you can find some of our, my collaborations with all the amazing people I work with um, yeah and I make art so there's links to my art on the Instagram um, as well so just yeah uh, thank you this was just so great <laughs> And I have some books to go buy now, too. (laughs) Thank you you all so much. Again, you know, support all of our panelists work. And if they don't have anything for purchase, then you can support their work by enacting their vision of our utopian society. And if you have anything left in your pocket to spare, once again, we always end these by closing the ritual that we've opened. And I hope that all of you who are listening will close the ritual with a ritual sacrifice. And that's what we're asking you to do today, to make a ritual sacrifice today. Please help our collective future by making a small reparation to First Nations women who have been systematically marginalized and disenfranchised both socially and economically. Let's offer our money with humility and then bask in pride as we witness what we can do when we work together. And I do want to add, we're here to undo the curses together. This event, this episode, this panel is a fundraiser. For the third year running, Risa and I will be contributing our Patreon profits for the month of May to the Native Women's Shelter of Montreal. Last year, we invited our listeners to join us, and together our coven returned almost $3,000 to our local Indigenous communities. So again, we're asking you, our listeners, those of you here today, our Missing Witches coven mates all over the world to make a reparation. 
We know that most of you are listening from outside Canada, so wherever you are, we encourage you to find a local Native women's shelter or Indigenous NGO to support. Some places don't have First Nations specific orgs, so we'll also accept donations to shelters for vulnerable women and children, sex workers, or victims of violence, or Planned Parenthood, but we would really appreciate a focus on support of Indigenous women or Indigenous people. We've got a couple grand worth of prizes donated by our Covenant Large jewelry, art, altarpieces, books, shout out to our publishing house, North Atlantic Books, a handmade custom sweater and readings of all kinds, ancestry, astrology, tarot, Akashic records, just waiting to be yours. So here's what you're going to do. Make your donation of $10 or more to the Native Women's Shelter of Montreal or your local Indigenous People Support Organization. Take a screenshot of your receipt and email it to missingwitches at gmail.com with the subject line donation plus the amount of your donation. The amount is important because for every $10, you'll get one entry into the raffle for these prizes that I'm about to list. So if you donate $20, you'll be entered twice. For $50, you'll get five entries and so on. If everyone listening right now donates locally, together we can make an impact globally. Anyone who donates $100 or more will be additionally entered in a separate draw to win a personal gratitude Zoom chat for Theresa and myself. Plus, every single person who makes a donation of $10 or more, that's every single person who makes a donation of $10 or more, will automatically receive a digital coupon book that we put together with discount codes to some of our most beloved witchy businesses, including House Witch, Snake Hair Press, the Death Witch, Unearthed Minerals, all this info and more details, plus a list of ideas for places to donate in Canada will be on our website and our socials. And for those of you who are here live, that link is live now. So you can go to our website and check that out. But maybe wait until after this conversation is over. <laughs> so make your donation. And if you like, Tell us about who you're supporting and why. Last year, we highlight a bunch of these organizations in our stories, and it was wonderful to be able to share who everyone else is also supporting with our following. So take your screenshot of your receipt, email it to missingwitches at gmail.com with the subject line donation, plus the amount of your donation. Lucky donors will win amazing prizes, and everyone who donates will get a digital coupon book with discount codes from our favorite witchy businesses. We'll run the fundraiser from today through the month of May. Winners will be drawn at random and announced on June 1st. Just to give our raffle prize donors a bit of heat, we have Amy Owen, who's going to do an astrology reading and a painting of the chart. GDC, who's here today is going to give us a reading plus a copy of your upcoming new book, which we're so excited to talk about. North Atlantic Books is giving us three copies of Banana Leaves. We wanted Jessica to be here today, but she's booked. So instead, we're going to spread her book <laughs> around. Um, Unearthed Minerals is giving us a broom necklace. Angela, aka Heartwise Woman, is doing a bone throw reading. Melissa is doing an Akashic Records reading. Jessica from Dear Woman is doing a tarot reading. Sammy has given us a necklace set. Kate Ballou, a custom personalized poem. James from A Quiet Practice has hand woven an altar cloth for this fundraiser. 
uh, Venus and Retro Tarot reading, Sherry, that hoodoo lady, an ancestor production connection, plus a copy of her book. And Moth and Magic is doing a handmade custom Granny Square cardigan that I want so badly <laughs> that I wish I could enter and win all of these prizes. And bless a fucking bee. And bless a fucking bee. thanks everybody thanks everybody see you next time thanks so much you must be a witch happy beltane